Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 145. 45, Omaha. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, whose favorite number is in box zero and three, Pat Flynn. That's right, three is my lucky number because third time's the charm. Third base, third degree, third wheel, third eye blind, and all the other thirds that are out there. Sorry, this is getting weird now. But anyway, what's up? Welcome to the 145th episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. I'm really excited because today we have a great guest on, somebody who has just gone through so much and has had an amazing journey and actually had talked to him for years over email, just randomly. He's always kept me updated on what he's been up to. And I I believe I remember one of the first emails that he sent me was about how much he enjoyed reading my ebook that I give away for free at ebooksthesmartway.com. You can check it out there. And he just told me, you know, the ebook was really useful and so on and so forth. And I just had no idea how much has happened since then. After talking to him in this interview, I mean, I knew he had some things going on. He wrote some books. He actually got traditionally published and so many other things happened, though. And the just the sequence of events that made it all happen, starting with sort of just getting involved with my book and everything, which is actually a book about how to write an ebook. So you can check that out again at ebooksthesmartway.com. Shows you how to do everything from outlining to completing to publishing and marketing and automating an ebook and it's it's all right there for you. So Kamanzi, who's this guest on that we have on today, Kamanzi Constable is his name. Such a cool name. So you can find him at KamanziConstable.com. Don't worry if you don't know how to spell it right now. All the links will be in the show notes at smartpassiveincome.com slash session one four five. But you know, enough of me. Let's just get right into the interview and let him tell his story. And then also at the end he's been doing something to market his books and and his blog and himself lately that a lot of people can benefit from even if they're just getting started. And that is becoming a contributing writer on large media sites. And he's going to walk us through exactly step by step and some of the secrets and tips that you can use to have yourself become a contributing writer and stand out from the thousands, the tens of thousands of submissions that uh, those sites get. And so you can have a better chance of landing an article on one of those sites and help promote yourself in your site as well. And there's a specific way to, to do that. And 
Kamanzi is going to tell us. So here he is, Kamanzi Constable. Let's go. What's up, everybody? I'm so happy to welcome Kamanzi Constable to the show. What's up, buddy? How are you? Oh, Pat, this is kind of surreal to be here because I remember <laughs> listening to you when I was delivering bread on a bread truck in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at midnight, and I was listening to Smart Passive Income. That's crazy. How long ago was that? That was in 2011. So I had just started my podcast at that just point. Just started. Well, I didn't even know what podcasting was back then. I was a, a bread guy for 12 years, and I started listening to Dave Ramsey hmm. because we wanted to get out of debt. And I thought, hmm, what, what else is out there as far as like these kind of shows? I found Dan Miller, um, who's a hero. Dan's and then, And then I was just browsing through iTunes and I saw like smart passive income. And I thought, man, with what I do, I would love passive income. And I just, I was hooked ever since. And, and now you are making passive income. Am I right? Yes, sir. That's all right. That's awesome. And we'll, we'll get into that journey in just a sec. But I, I, the first time I remember... Uh, chatting with you over email. This was a long time ago. It was about my ebook. And a lot of people who are listening to this may have already downloaded my ebook, ebooks a smart way. But you've talked about how you had just downloaded that book and you loved it. And that's the first thing I remember you saying. And so when you did that, tell me how you took that information that was in that book and, and what you did with it and kind of what happened after that. Yeah. So up until that point, I had been a bread delivery guy for 12 years. Um, when I started at 19, life was good. When I had children and they started getting older and we had school activities and all that good stuff, it was getting hard to wake up at midnight and go deliver bread um, and and get a three hours of sleep a night. Mm. And so over the years, it just it turned to not liking the job. And then towards the end there in 2011, I mean, I, I hated it. And I don't like to use the word hate, but I, I did hate that job. And so I was, I didn't have a college degree. I didn't have any special skills. So I just kind of felt trapped. And there were some changes at the company. They got bought out by a larger company. And uh, we were independent operators. And we were worried that we weren't even going to have a job anymore. Kind of, kind of a little bit like your situation. But I wanted to vent what was going on. And I didn't think my wife would get it. And I didn't want to talk to my coworkers because it was, everybody was kind of looking out for themselves and, and, and that way, so I started journaling what was going on. And up until that point, Pat, I hadn't touched a computer. I wasn't on social media in 2000, up until the middle of 2011. I didn't know any of this world at all. So after journaling this stuff, I thought, man, what can I really do with this? And I kind of checked that in the back of my mind until about a couple weeks later, I saw an article about a woman named Amanda Hawking, who is a she was a 19-year-old CNA from Minnesota. She had written 17 novels by the time she was 19. <laughs> yeah. So she liked to write. And she tried to get the agents. She tried to get the publisher. She had something like 20 rejections. And she decided to self-publish. And in 2011, self-publishing wasn't what it is today. So this was kind of a new thing. And she put it out there. She didn't have a big Twitter following. She had like 800 people on Twitter. And she put the books out there and just not knowing what's going to happen. And the first day she sold 456 copies. And if anybody's listening to this and they self-publish, they know that that's, that's a decent amount of copies to sell your book. Absolutely. And after a month, she had sold 10,000 copies. And then after eight months, she had sold 1 million copies of her self-published books. And, um, and a random house and all those people that I rejected her, they came and offered her and she signed a deal for $2.5 million with random house. And 
I was reading this story in USA Today, and I thought, man, if this girl from Minnesota, my neighbor here, could do this, why couldn't I uh, self-publish my little thoughts right here into this ebook thingy? So that's that's where the problem came, and I, I didn't know anything about putting this together. So that's when I found your site, and I found ebooks the smart way, and I had no clue what I was doing. But that ebook, that little ebook, walked me through how to self publish a book, how to put it together, how to make it nice. And I came out of reading ebooks the smart way with an actual ebook, which was my first book, Tales of the Everyday Working Man and Woman. Nice. And talk about what you did after you you wrote that ebook. I mean, I, I know a lot of people out there who get to the point where they decide to write and they write and then they have this finished product, but then they don't know what to do with it. I'm curious to know, because I don't even know the full story, really. After you had that, what did you do with it? How did you get it out there? And what what Oh man, I I put it out there and it sold like 10,000 copies the first two days. I I wish I could say that's what the story was. Okay, I was like, what? (laughs) No. I was like, what is your secret? How did you do that? Okay. Absolutely not. I I joined social media when the book was done. I joined social media. I joined Facebook and Twitter and all that. And I didn't even understand how Twitter worked, Pat. I followed all these people and I thought that if I posted, they saw it. Um, not realizing they have to follow me first. Uh. That's that's how clueless I was. <laughs> so I put this book out there. I told everybody in the bread world, uh, the delivery world, the grocery stores I went to, like, hey, I got this book coming out. Everybody's like, yes, yes, we're going to buy it. We're going to buy it when it comes out. Uh, the day that the book went out, it was August 11th of 2011. I ran home from work. I thought I was going to log on to Amazon and see like 100 sales from friends and family and all these people. And I logged on to Amazon, Pat, and you you probably can guess what I saw. It was a big, fat zero. Nothing. Mm, not even one. Not even one. But I thought, hey, maybe Amazon doesn't update their results in real time. So I waited a few hours, and I checked again, and it was zero. <laughs> I checked throughout the day, and it was zero. And three days later, it was still zero. And three days later, Pat, like, you know, I went on Facebook, and I'm like, everybody's fake. You're not my friends. You're a bunch of liars. You oh, said wow. you're going to buy my book. Yeah, it was... I, I'm not even exaggerating, Pat. By the end of that, the only Facebook friend I had was my wife. That uh, I mean, was it. I can only imagine how after putting in all that work and he, I mean, hearing these success stories and then doing the work yourself and doing the, essentially the same thing to see a big fat zero, how deflating that can be. It was it was crushing. And I thought, you know what? Forget this Internet stuff. Forget this. I'm going to go back to the bread well and just be you know, a blue collar guy the rest of my life. But... I have a really good group of friends. Um, It's two friends and my little brother. And we had talked every day about our dreams and the things we wanted to do. So when this happened, and I'm telling them that I'm I'm not dealing with this anymore, they're like, yes, you are. They're like, stop being a baby. You haven't put effort your effort into this. Figure out how to do this kind of stuff and get back and keep going. And so they were really the reason that I just kept going. I mean, that's great. I mean, I, I felt the same way when I lost my job. It was the people around me who helped keep my head above the water and keep going. But when did things finally start to take off for you? So I spent the rest of 2011 trying to figure out this internet world. And I researched, you know, I got really involved in your blog and I got involved in all of our heroes, you know, the Jeff Goins and the Dan Millers and the Michael Hyatts mm-hmm. and, and really researching. So I came to the beginning of 2012 with the game plan. And one thing that I had seen that really had worked time and time again, and this was a credit to Jeff Goins, because every blog that I read, Jeff Goins was on. And I'm like, this Jeff Goins guy is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I noticed something in, in the beginning of the article. It said, this is a guest post by Jeff Goins. And I thought, guest post, guest post. I keep seeing this everywhere. 
And so I started researching guest posts and I saw, hmm, you can write an article for a site that probably has more traffic than yours and they'll give you some links back to your site. So in the beginning of 2012, I spent January and February, and this is another patch strategy because he had talked about this with his uh, Ezon articles. I had spent the beginning of January and February um, just writing guest posts. I had written 80 guest posts in those, those two months and I had been sending them out everywhere. And I got quite a few rejections because, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. But the first person to say yes was Dan Miller. And so that was in March of, of 2012. And he ran that post. I got traffic. I got, uh, it was like something like 300 email subscribers. It was stuff that I had never seen before. And then uh, to follow that up, March 9th, I guest posted for Michael Hyatt. And this was um, back in the day when he didn't post as much and and you were the only guest post that was going to be out for a long time. So when that post hit, that month that I had that guest post on his blog, that whole month I ended up getting 6,000 email subscribers, um, that between him and Dan Miller, and then a few other little, little websites that I had guest posted on. But in 2012, I guest posted on 50 different blogs, Pat. That's crazy. I mean, you put in the work. And that's the thing, you know, you can't just build it and they, they'll come, you know, people think that that's, that's the case. And I mean, we often hear these success stories of people who seem like they just build something and all of a sudden it's just an overnight success, but they don't know the backstory behind it. You know, I'm always reminded of Rovio and Angry Birds. That was the 60th game that they created. Tim Ferriss, it seemed like he came out of nowhere, but he was rejected as well 20 times before a publisher finally published the four hour work week. And here you are finally putting in the work and, and connecting with the right people and getting these guest posts. That's amazing. That That's great. I'm, I'm curious to know, because I know a lot of people run guest posts and a lot of people get rejected. What do you feel made Dan and Michael say yes to your guest posts? Well, back then, um, you can interact with them directly. So like when I would email Dan or, or Michael Hyatt, I would get responses from them. And Dan Miller, I mean, he's so gracious. He's just like, he's my hero. Dan's amazing. So, 48days.net for those of you. Yeah. And he is the kind of person that will tell you, he's straight up with you like, hey, come on, Z. Um, I like this, but this is where it needs some work. And that's the kind of guy Dan is. So he told me, Michael Hyatt was the same way. He said, the first draft, it was, uh, you're close, but this is not quite it. Work on this. Sent it back. He's like, okay, just work on this area. Third time sent it to him. He's like, okay, now this is ready to run. So that feedback really really helped. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a testament to why they are successful. They're just so generous in that way, but actually care and are willing to help people. I mean, that's that's me as well. I mean, the, your earnings are a byproduct of how well you serve your audience. And here they were serving you and you're giving something to them as well. And I think it's really cool that you kept going too. I think a lot of people, if somebody came back to them and said, you know what, this really isn't there yet, they would stop. But you kept going. Yeah. Well, after a few of those rejections, something that I really picked up on was um, I was writing articles that I thought would be a good fit. And I thought they were great articles in my mind. But then I realized when I looked at the ones I rejected, I realized that they got rejected because I wasn't writing for that blog's audience. I was writing what I thought they would respond to. But guess what? They might not respond to that. Mm -hmm. And so I started when I wanted to guest post, I would research the blog. I would see the style 
that the blogger wrote in. So like Michael Hyatt, for example, he likes numbers and like alliteration. That's what he likes. One, two, three, four, and he likes alliteration. Jeff Goins, for example, is more of like a free-flowing writer. So you're not going to have the numbers and it's not going to be a listicle. It's just going to be a free-flowing article. So once I could figure out the style of the blogger and then really um, take in their post and see what their audience was responding to, that's when I became more effective at landing those guest posts. That's really cool. Okay, so you're getting these guest posts out. Traffic's coming to your site. Take us through the next part of your journey. Yeah, so I I self-published a second book, which was called The Difference Between Living and Existing. And by this point, I had the email subscribers were up there. The traffic was up there. I had hit my, by the middle of 2012, I hit my first 100,000 visitors on my website from all all this guest posting. and, And people actually said that they liked the content. So I wasn't a very good writer, but they appreciated that I was honest. Like I talked about some hard things, Pat, because when I was in, had the bread business and and going through all that, I had racked up $180,000 in debt to the IRS from mismanaging business for 12 years. And so we had to declare bankruptcy. And I put that on my blog and my wife's like, don't put that on there. And I'm like, I have to, this is going to help somebody. Mm. And when I did, Pat, I got 136 emails and I had never gotten that many emails in my life. And there were people like, I can't believe you wrote about that, but I'm going through that. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Me too. Me too. And so I wrote about that. I wrote about the time my wife and I split up just because the money problems were there. I wrote, I wrote about all these difficult situations just to kind of encourage and to help people. And people responded. They shared the blog like crazy. They bought the books up, up by that point. Um, when I logged back onto Amazon, like in the middle of 2012, because I hadn't even wanted to look at it, um, I had sold uh, 10,000 copies of the book by wow. of, of both books by that point. Wow. And so in the middle of 2012, I went to Brennan Bouchard's Experts Academy. And at that conference, I'm sitting there at dinner yapping away because one thing Brennan does is he makes you network with other people at the event. So I'm sitting there yapping away to this guy at dinner about uh, my books and how they had sold 10,000 copies. And I even uh, took my laptop out and showed him because I was was that proud. Uh And by the end of the dinner, I'm like, oh man, I didn't even ask you what your name was. He's like, hi, my name is Nathan. I'm the publisher at Sound Wisdom Books. And we walked away from that, Pat, like I was shaking. And when we got uh, home from that conference, he had emailed me and said, hey, I'd like to look at your books and see if we could work together. Sound Wisdom can publish it. I sent him Tales of the Everyday Working Man and Woman. And he said, this is not going to be a good fit. I sent him the difference between living and existing. He said, we can work with this. It's going to take some work. We can work with this. And so Sound Wisdom Books ended up giving me a four-book deal. Um, and in May of 2013, they, they published my first book. And I, I was able to walk in the bookstore. And Pat's seen the picture here on Skype. I was able to walk into the bookstore with my 80, uh, he was 86-year-old grandfather at the time. And up until that point, Pat, um, I had told my grandfather that I had ebooks. And he's like, what are those? Because he doesn't <laughs> touch computers. And I'm like, those are books in the computer. And he's like, a book is not on the computer. He's like, you got to hold a book. I'm like, no, Grandpa, it's a book. He's like, no, it's not. So um, when the book came out, I was able to take, pick him up. We walked to Barnes & Nobles. I'm like, what's that over there? He looked and he looked back at me and he looked again. And he's like, is that your book? I'm like, I don't know, Grandpa, pick it up and look inside. 
he saw my picture, Pat, and he just started crying. Oh my gosh. Like I'm just tearing up right now hearing this story. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of you out there know that one of my life goals is to write a book and be able to take my kids to the bookstore and do essentially the same thing. Um, man, he, he must've been so proud. Cause, uh, when we were younger, he had given my brother and I from the earliest birthday we had, he gave us a book for every one of our birthdays and it was always a new book. So he really instilled that love of books in us. So to see his grandson's book in there and I said, this is because of you, grandpa, it was like a surreal moment. And then, you know, it's, it's special because I told Pat before we got on the interview, uh, he died on Tuesday. And so I'm just glad that he lived long enough to see that. Yeah. Um, dude, uh, thank you for sharing that and, and, and being honest and, and just, you know, sharing that story with us and uh, being able to live through that with you. I mean, it's just incredible. And, I, and I'm so sorry to hear about your grandfather, but I know he's looking down and really proud of you. And, um, you know, I hope this inspires people like I, like I feel like it will. No. And so up until that point, the books had sold incredibly well. They had sold a little over 82,000 copies. Um, I, then the publisher took the book, they re-edited it, they put a new title on it, new cover. They released it as a traditionally published book. Around that time, um, 2013, beginning of 2013, um, I had gotten some exposure. I had sold some books and my uh, conference in West Virginia, a social media conference, it was called the BAM Social Media Conference in Huntington, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. They uh, said, hey, we see what you're doing online and with books and all social media. We'd like to have you come out here to speak. And then they said the magic words, Pat. They said, we'll pay you. Yes. And <laughs> I, I am an extreme introvert, Pat. Like I Somebody said, speak on stage. I said, no way. I'm not even going to do it. But I, I told my wife about it and she's like, yeah, you are going to do it. So <laughs> being the good husband, I said, okay. I, I got to Huntington, West Virginia. I got on stage. I looked at all the people and I walked off. I'm like, there's no way I can do this. But I, I could hear my wife and I could hear people channeling. I channeled them and I got back up there and I was terrible. Like it was bad. I could, I'll send you the YouTube videos. It was really bad, Pat. But people said, hey, you don't speak very well, but the content is good. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, well, you know, there's something I can work on there. But one thing I did love about that, Pat, was the traveling. I mean, to go somewhere new to people on the airplane were like, what are you going to West Virginia for? I'm like, I'm going to speak at this conference. I'm like, you're a speaker. Yeah, right. I'm like, I'm a speaker <laughs> like me, the bread guy. I'm a speaker. <laughs> and so after that experience, um, there was a conference in New York, um, put on by some guys that I had met at experts Academy. And they said, Hey man, come out here and speak. Um, we'll pay you come on out here. And it was the first time in New York. Um, it was the first time seeing Times Square and having New York pizza. And it was surreal. And I went up there and one of the speakers right before I got on, he said, hey, man, remember two things. Number one, these people are here to see you. And then number two, have fun. He's like, if you remember those two things, you'll be great. And so I went out there and I just had fun and I was infectious. And the audience loved it. They laughed. And inside the audience was a woman who was organizing a conference in Sydney, Australia. And she came up to me afterward. She's like, I love your story. She's like, would you come out to Sydney and talk about this? And I'm like, are you serious? She's like, yeah. I'm like, are you going to pay me? She's like, yeah. And I didn't have... <laughs> Pat, I didn't know anything about this world. And I didn't even have a passport, Pat. And this was in um, March. And this event was in June. So I had to get my passport fast track. Right, right. And I had to get a visa 
from to, to enter Australia. And it was a lot of stuff, but I went out there, I spoke at the university of Sydney in front of a thousand people. Um, that one didn't go quite as well because I said like a couple of jokes and a couple of things that only we would understand here in America. Mm. And so when I said them, it just, people were like, you know, they didn't receive it well at all. Right. It's like, that's okay. I yeah, mean, you're, but, you're traveling the world, you're speaking, you're getting paid to do that. And I mean, we've all heard the journey you went through. That's just, it's just incredible and so incredibly inspiring. And it's just, man, okay. So you do it on, I mean, can you tell us really quick, where, where should we go to get to go to your website and see all that you are doing in your books? I mean, what, what's your website? And also what's the name of this, the new book that you've worked with this company with? Yeah, it's uh, the website is kamanziconstable.com. That's K I M. A-N-Z-I-C-O-N-S-T-A-B-L-E.com. You could Google it. There's not that many. Or you can go to livingoregistingbook.com and I'll redirect you to the site. Right. And, and the book that um, Pat is referring to is Are You Living or Existing? Nine Steps to Change Your Life. And that was originally a self-published book. That's really cool. And so there will be links in the show notes as well to Kamanzi's books, to his website and all that stuff. This is, um, I believe this will be episode 145. So smartpassiveincome.com slash session one four five. Now that was, I mean, geez, I mean, we could end the we could end the conversation there, and I think a lot of people will go and continue to keep doing what they need to do to to make things happen in their life, just like you did. But before the call, we also talked about some of the stuff that's been working really well for you now, and you're doing a lot of writing on a lot of these big sites now. Can you talk about sort of what it is that you're up to and what's working for you? Yeah, definitely. Well, since you know, 2013, 2014 came around. And um, guest posting now, it's a little bit of a different game. There's definitely places you can go in your uh, niche or, or your topic and guest post for. But a lot of the larger sites now do not take unsolicited guest posts anymore. I don't believe Michael Hyde does anymore. I don't think Jeff Goins does either. So it was uh, something where I kind of had to figure out, okay, how am I going to get traffic? And one thing that I had always wanted and uh, Pat uh, kind of wants this to extent with the published book is I wanted to go a little bit more mainstream this year. And I wanted to go after some of these bigger opportunities. So one thing that I had seen constantly in my Facebook news feed was articles from the Huffington Post, from Entrepreneur Magazine, from Mind Body Green, like all these really big sites. And I would read these articles and not think twice about it. And one day when I was reading this article, I looked and I saw something on the Huffington Post it was a, a person, not on staff, that was writing this article. When I clicked, you know, I saw that this person was a contributor. And I thought, that's interesting. Um, that's kind of like guest posting. So I started researching and trying to figure out, well, you know, I want to write for the Huffington Post. The place, it seemed big and it was intimidating. And they had an online submission portal thing. And I just, I didn't know what to do. And, and the research that I did, there wasn't a lot of information on how to get on the Huffington Post. So I just went with what I knew, <laughs> and that was write a good article that would fit the site and send it to the right person. I didn't want to do the online submission portal thing. I wanted to get this to an actual person I can interact with. Mm -hmm. And so I went to their staff page. I saw their editors. I looked that person up on Twitter, and I saw what they were tweeting, and I just started retweeting some of their stuff. And I started seeing what they were into and just getting to know. We established a little bit of a rapport. And I, I was on their Huffington Post articles commenting. So I was, I had a somewhat of a relationship with. And when I had felt that, you know, I shared this person's stuff and we had a little bit of rapport, I said, hey, how can I write for the Huffington Post? And he said, 
Um, he DM'd me and said, here's my email address. Send me your article directly. And I sent him the article directly. And to my surprise, he said, this is good. We will run this. Wow. And once you're in, in like a large magazine site, you are officially a contributor. They give you a blogger account where you log in, you uh, write articles whenever you want. You can write it once a week, once a day. You could write it once every year. You have the blogger account. So you can blog uh, whenever you want and on whatever topic you want. Interesting. So, wow. So once you're in, you're kind of in. And it, I, I'm assuming there's still an editor that goes in before they go out. You, you can't just like mass spam and, you know, they, they check everything to make sure it's legit. Oh, right? yeah. Absolutely. You Once you're in, you submit your articles kind of like WordPress and it goes to their editors and they'll check them to make sure there's nothing offensive or self-promotional is something that they do not like at all. So like they don't want direct links to your website and stuff like that. And the articles, they'll strip all those links pretty quickly. Um, they want something that is going to be for the readers and give real benefit for the readers. And just because you're in as a contributor doesn't mean you won't get an article that gets rejected. <laughs> um, okay. it, it will get rejected if it's not the right content. Now, I think when you said that you can't include a link back to your website, everybody who was listening had their high hopes up and was at the tip of their chair. And now they're kind of sitting back down because they're like, oh, well, what's the point if there's no link? Well, okay. And I, I, should, re, I should rephrase that because that's not entirely correct. They don't want it to be self-promotional. So there's a few ways. So I'll just walk people through this, Pat, if they are going to pitch to large website. I'll walk them through it really quick. The Perfect. Readers version. Thank you. So this is what I would do if I was going to write for a large website. Identify the site that you want to write for. Make sure it's for your audience. So let's say it was entrepreneur.com. What, you, what I would do is I would go to entrepreneur.com and I would go to their top 50 posts. So their most popular posts. Those posts are popular for a reason. That's what their audience responds best to. So if you model your post off of something in the top 50, that's what an editor is more than likely going to accept because it's already the kind of content they like. Mm. So you'll scan through the top 50 posts. And I'm not telling you to, let's, if you saw a post that said 10 ways to connect with Pat Flynn, um, I'm not telling you to write an article <laughs> that says nine ways to connect with Pat Flynn. That's not what I'm talking about at Back all. Back to the future. Yeah. Family. I mean, I mean, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. But but you could say you could say it different. Um, you could say seven unique ways to connect with Pat Flynn, or you could say seven ways people connect with Pat Flynn the wrong way. You could you just mix it up and and make it. But more than likely, you're going to make it relevant to your topic. So you see something in there that's about um, uh, entrepreneurship, bring it back to your topic. You see something that's in there about leadership, bring it back to your topic. But get your idea from those popular posts. And I'm going to tell you, as much as people say they don't like them, your first post, your first pitch should be a listicle. So it should be seven ways, five ways, four ways. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is because uh, people scan. When they're reading those websites, they're just scanning. So they'll look at a post, they'll see seven ways. They say, hmm, this tells me seven ways. It's a definite, it's a definite beginning and end. I'm going to go on that article. They click on it and they scan the main points. And if anything at the main points catches their eye, that's when they'll dig deep because people just are busy, especially entrepreneurs. So when you have an article that's not a listicle, somebody would see that and they're going to say, okay, this is going to take a little bit of time to read. I don't have time for that right now. And that's why those listicles are so popular because people can just buzz through them. And when you're an editor, 
getting thousands of submissions from people, um, you're going to scan through, you're going to see all these posts. And the one that's a listicle, that's the one that they're going to jump out and pick because they can scan the main points. If the main point looks good, they can say, okay, we want this person to be a contributor. So I'm going to tell you that your first post should be a listicle. And then once you have an idea for the post, you got the listicle, you write it out, you're getting ready to pitch at this point. Um, what I would do is on each of these websites, they're going to have a staff or they're going to have an editor's page. An editor is the person that, that can kill an article or they can accept it. They have the authority to do that. There are always online submission portals. But I'll tell you, Pat, one of the editors at the Huffington Post told me that in their online submission portal, they get 30,000 submissions a day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you submit to that thing and um, I don't think your chances are very high of at them actually picking it up. So what you want to do is you want to go to their editor's page, find the editor of the section that you want to uh, write for. And what I would tell you as much as possible, build up some kind of rapport with them. You don't have to be best buddies, but they have to at least look at your name and recognize your name that you're not completely unknown. Um, I have seen people pitch completely unknown and get articles, so it definitely is possible. Mm -hmm. But if you could build up a little rapport, I, I think that helps you. But when you built up that rapport, or if you want to pitch them directly, um, most places will have the email addresses of the editor where you can just click and email that editor directly. A place like the Huffington Post, for example, does not. They just have a list of their name of editors. So I'm going to give um, SBI listeners a little exclusive tip that I picked up here. Okay, so this is just for you, Pat. Cool, thank you. The Huffington Post uses a first name dot last name at Huffington Post format. So if you're going to pick an editor at Huffington Post, that's what their email address is going to be. But you pick the section that you want to write for, you look for that editor, and you email them the article directly in the email. Do not put an attachment. An editor will delete an attachment really fast. There's viruses and who knows what. So you want to put that in the body of the email. And as far as what your pitch should say, I like to keep it short and sweet. So hello, um, Pat Flynn, if he was the editor. Hello, Pat Flynn. My name is Kamanzi Constable. Here's my website. I've written an article that is this many words. Um, the word count is very important. And so when you are going to write for a place, you always want to research their terms and conditions and get a feel for their articles. So like Entrepreneur, for example, articles cannot be more than 800 words. The Huffington Post is going to be 500 to 1,000 words. Anything above or below is not going to get run. So you really have to know the place. So when you say that email, you say, hey, this is uh, a post that I've written. It's 600 words. Here are some writing samples. And I would, as much as possible, link to writing samples that are not on your blog. Your blog is probably great, but they want to see some of your work elsewhere. They want to see that you've been out and about and you've been writing for other places. If you haven't, don't get discouraged. That's totally cool. You can still list like your best two or three articles on your blog but just let them see your best work and then say, uh, thank you so much, your name, and then put the article in the body of the email and that's it. And you send it to them directly. Awesome. That's really cool. What is, what, what has been the result of doing all this kind of work? Uh, uh, I started writing for the Huffington Post. The first post was in July. And then I picked up Entrepreneur Magazine, Mind Body Green, uh, The Good Men Project, with that, which I later became an editor at, and then um, Business Insider. Um, from July until this point, Pat, I just looked before we got on, I've, uh, my email list went from 3,000 people. It's a little bit over 17,000 people right now. And that's 
mainly from just putting yourself out there on these bigger sites? Uh, putting myself on there. The traffic has been crazy good. The email subscribers, my social media has grown as a result of it. And then the kind of the surprising thing is all the um, the business that you get, people that want coaching or want to buy some of your other classes, people that want to work with you. So like I get a lot of, hey, I loved your entrepreneur article. I'd love to partner you with you on this product, mm-hmm. on project. And then here's the crazy one, Pat, the job offers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's been like five or six job offers from SEO companies, from social media companies, from marketing companies. That, that's been the crazy part of all this. Do you think this is just for people who are sort of in the business space or is, is this, can anybody use these strategies? I think anybody can use these strategies. So if you don't have to be in a business space. Huffington Post, for example, is going to have every topic that you can think of. That's true. They, they, they call them verticals. So they have every vertical that you could think of. If you want to write about divorce, if you want to write about marriage, kids, whatever, once you're in as a contributor, you can pick any topic. Some place like Entrepreneur, that's going to be specific to Entrepreneur. And then a place like Mind Body Green, that's going to be health stuff. And then here's another thing, Pat. Um, you had talked about links right? Links back to your website. Mm -hmm. So you cannot have overly promotional links, but you can, there is a little bit of a strategy to this. So when you write for a large website, um, most of them, you have, again, you have to research their terms and conditions. You can repost that content elsewhere. So if you write for the Huffington Post, you can post that on your blog, or you can post it on Entrepreneur Magazine or somewhere else. Or if you write for your blog, you can repost that on the Huffington Post. And here's the thing, when you repost an article, you have to give credit back to the original source. So when you write something on your blog and then put it on the Huffington Post, at the bottom of the article, it says this article originally appeared on smartpassiveincome.com. That's a direct link in the article right back to your website. Wow, that's interesting. It almost makes you feel like if I were going to do this, that I would like publish it on my site first anyway. Oh, there's people that exclusively do that. They'll publish it on their site first. And then they'll go repost it there. I would tell you that for those of you that are thinking about doing this, I would not pitch a repost as your first article. Mm. So after you get in, it's totally fine to do that. But the first article should be original because as an editor, I edit at the Goodman Project. um, And I've talked to editors at Entrepreneur and Huffington Post. When an editor sees it's a repost, the first thing they think in their mind, whether this is right or wrong, they think lazy writer. That's what they think. Um, yeah, they want to see something original. They want to see your best work. Like you're giving your best foot forward. People even pitch to us at the Goodman project and they'll say, Hey, I had an article that did really good on my website. Here's the link. They won't even bother to put that in, in the email and those just get deleted. Cause you know, editors are busy. They don't have time to click over here and read this or that. Yeah. They, but here's the thing to understand. And it's something that Pat and I have talked about. They want to accept your article more than they want to reject it. So like a place like if Pat took guest posts, I don't, do you take guest posts, Pat? Very rarely, but yes, I do. Okay. So it's very rarely. And even if Pat posts an article every day, that would be 365 articles in the year. A place like the Huffington Post will post that many articles in a week. That's how much content they have to put out there. And at the Goodman Project, for example, where I edit, Goodman Project's a site that gets 2 million visitors a week. And so we we post 30 articles a day. And so we have a lot of content to fill. 
And sometimes we look at that editorial calendar and we're like, whoa, <laughs> like we need some more content here. And so we'll scour LinkedIn and we'll scour different places asking if we could repost. So these large websites have so much content to put out. They're always looking for good content. They don't base it off of the relationship or who you know or how big your platform is. They base their decision solely on how good the article is. If the article is decent enough, an editor can work with it and they can make it great. Mm. And they, they would love to run that. So if you are just starting out with your site or your business, a great strategy might be to maybe build some authority and connect with one of these larger sites and start to build a name for yourself that way. Absolutely. Beautiful. Kwanzi, thank you so much for sharing that information with us and also obviously your story and how inspiring it was. Before we finish up, do you have any final tips for anybody out there who's, you know, maybe was where you at, were at before when you saw those big fat zeros back in Amazon? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that, was, that was discouraging and I know how it is. I would say don't get discouraged. Um, books are one of those things that they just take time. They're not something that you can constantly promote. Books are more of like passive income. Wouldn't you say that, Pat? I mean, as you grow your audience and your platform, more and more books start selling. Mm -hmm. And so don't get discouraged at first. I would say do your research. Um, and nine times out of 10, I think the reason that a lot of people don't sell books and stuff like that is just because they don't have the audience for it yet. So if you were going to focus on anything, I would focus on things that build your audience. So maybe writing for a large site, maybe going out and getting on a podcast interview. And that's something we didn't talk about, Pat. In 2012, I got on 80 different podcasts in addition to writing those 50 different guest posts. Wow. So it was a lot of hustle. And well, it was a lot of work. A lot of hustle, but it seems to be paying off for you now. <laughs> no, and then I would just tell you, don't get discouraged and just realize how this, everything ties into each other. So um, one thing, Pat, that I had to put in the equation was back then I had delivered bread and over the years I had picked up a lot of bad habits and I was uh, 170 pounds overweight. I weighed 370 pounds, Pat. Mm. So when I began this journey to quit a job I hated, to um, to change my life, one thing that I saw I need to do, especially as going out there and speaking, because people would put this on Twitter, like, this guy is great, but he's really large. And that hurt seeing that. And so when I worked on all this at the same time, Pat, I wanted to work on my weight. And it took a long time, but I lost 170 pounds. And so going through that, it helped me get more energy, helped me get more focus. And then the last part of that equation, as, as Pat knows, was we lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin our whole lives. Um, in April of this year, we moved out here to Maui, Hawaii. And so that's where I'm coming to you from, Maui. And I know Pat is a, a big fan of Hawaii and, and Oahu. Yep. And so it all kind of works hand in hand. You, you work on one area of your life, and it's amazing how many other areas of your life are going to be changed. I love that. Thank you, Kamanzi. Appreciate it so much. Everybody head on over to KamanziConstable.com. We'll have links in the show notes as well. Again, at SmartPassiveIncome.com slash session 145. Dude, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and, and these tips. Can't wait to connect with you again soon. No, thank you for eBooks the Smart Way, Pat. Uh, thank you for continuing to do what you do uh, day in and day out all these years. I mean, I speak for everybody. We, we just love what you do. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview. A great interview with Kamanzi Constable from KamanziConstable.com. You can also get that free guide, no opt-ins required, just out of the kindness of Kamanzi's heart at ripples2waves.com slash pat, which is going to walk you through exactly step-by-step step, and like you said, with screenshots and all that good stuff on how to land 
an article on these large media sites, which can help you like we just talked about in so many different ways. So check that out. Also, I want to take a quick moment just to thank you. I don't know if you realize this, but you've had, you, the listeners, have made a massive impact on the direction of where smart passive income has gone. Uh, as a result of you, I've been interviewing certain guests that you've recommended. As a result of uh, your recommendations, I've been tackling different topics that are, that are of high interest to you. Uh, in addition to that, I created a brand new podcast called Ask Pat, which you may have heard of before. And on that show, I answer voicemail questions from you as well. You can actually check that out at askpat.com. But that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. Obviously, Ask Pat, there needs to be questions in addition to my answers in order to make that show success, and, and I'm so thankful that uh, it's there, and, and I have you to thank for that. I also have you to thank for pushing me to create some online courses to help you through a number of the, of the different problems and pains that you might be having with your online business, uh, the, the scaling of it, just even the start and the process of it. Um, even though there's a lot of great free information here via the podcast, I know, and I know this from my own experience as well, courses can be life-changing because you you purchase a course and you are just in that mindset of actually doing that thing that that course tells you to, to do. And I have a number of different courses available to you if that's the kind of thing you need in order to actually finally start getting results and taking action so i know a number of you have already taken action which is fine like i'm not trying to push these courses on you but they are there and available for those of you who would much prefer to get that targeted information and the accountability and the hand-holding through those processes so if you want to check out and see all the courses that are available to you all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com courses that's a page that's going to continually grow over time as well so keep checking back smartpassiveincome.com courses I look forward to uh, to hopefully seeing you there. Cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I can't wait to share what I have for you in next week's episode. We have somebody who is pre-selling and validating a product for their audience. This person is in a very, very specific niche, actually a niche within a niche within a niche. And he's going to walk you through exactly how he's been very successful with some of his latest products, pre-selling the idea for those products to his audience before they're even built, getting cash from the customers that are going to be using this product to help pay for the development. A real life example of that. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much and keep just keep keep being awesome. Love you guys. Thanks so much. And don't forget all the links and resources mentioned in this episode, direct links to anything that Kamanzi mentioned. You can find it at smartpassiveincome.com slash session one four five. Thank you so much. Thank you, especially to those of you who have left iTunes reviews and ratings. It means the world to me. I appreciate you. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, what's up, guys? One more quick thing before I let you go, and this is related to last week's episode, actually, with Ryan Moran, who talked about e-commerce and Amazon, a subject that it seems like whenever I talk about those things on the podcast, um, SPI Nation goes crazy. If you go back to episode 144, you'll see that um, there's a lot of comments and a lot of people really excited about Ryan talked about. And uh, Ryan wanted to actually sponsor this episode and next week's episode so we can get more listeners to his podcast. And I thought that, you know, I've never done this before. This might be a cool idea. And so I want to let you know about his podcast, which I actually listen to because his podcast, Freedom of Fastlane, is all about building an insanely profitable business and investing the profits into truly passive income sources. Obviously, he was on the show last week and you all love that episode. So I recommend subscribing to his podcast. All you have to do is open up iTunes or Stitcher, search for Freedom Fastlane and hit subscribe or visit freedomfastlane.com slash pat. So uh, check them out. Thanks so much. And I'll see you guys next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.
So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 